the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter Seven, Captured. Owen jumped up and began to run north toward the gravel yard. Susan grabbed his arm. No, that would lead them to the others. This way. She ran diagonally down the slope, away from the soldiers and away from the gravel yard. She had no idea what she was running toward, only that she was leading the soldiers away from the work area. She had half a notion that she could run toward Charon's lookout post and be seen by him, but she didn't know why that would have helped or what Charon was going to do, but it was the only plan she had. Owen ran behind her, panting and gasping. Oh, my God! Oh, my God! There wasn't supposed to be anyone here, Susan thought. He said there was nothing here. She heard a crack behind her. Ah! Susan turned in time to see Owen tumble, tripped by the branch of a fallen tree. She pulled at his shoulder to get him on his feet. The soldiers had gained ground. She could hear their voices now. Hey, stop! We'll shoot! She braced her feet to bolt and resume running. Owen grabbed her leg. No, they're too close. They'll only shoot us dead. We'll have to try something later. Susan was no soldier. She had no idea what to do or expect. Maybe running was the worst thing. Maybe she should have run away. She had never felt a more horrible sinking feeling than sitting still, waiting to be captured. She laid her rifle on the snow patch beside her, in the hopes that a peaceful gesture would buy some grace. The two soldiers trotted up, rifles at their shoulders, looking over their rear sights. Well, well, what do we have here? said the shorter soldier, out of breath. Told you we'd do better getting off the road, said the taller soldier. He had broad shoulders and a helmet that looked too small for him. His pronounced cheekbones and thrust-out jaw gave him a skull-like appearance. The reflective goggles added to the skull-like look. Get up, you two. Hands up, on top of your heads. I'll even let you keep your gloves on, chuckled the tall soldier, as he zip-tied their wrists together. Ain't I the nice guy? Now get moving, ordered the other soldier. He was shorter of average build, with a narrow face and shifty eyes. He didn't look particularly trustworthy, but seemed more reasonable than Skullman. Susan wondered if there might be an opportunity to reason with the shorter one. Even if the opportunity came up, what would she say? Hey, look at these. Now we got our proof. The taller man held up hers and Owen's rifles. Bet these two are black caps, planning to attack our supply trucks or something. They think we're black caps? Neither she nor Owen wore black stocking caps. Charon said the black caps were just a boogeyman invented by the feds. Xavier said he thought some of the stories of ambushed fed supply trucks might be true, though he had never encountered anyone he could identify as an actual black cap. Clearly, the two soldiers believed the black caps were real and that they had just captured two of them. The soldiers led Susan and Owen down the slope and then up the hill that they had been watching. They exchanged glances, asking each other with their eyes what they should do. 
Neither had any ideas. If they didn't walk quickly enough, they got poked in the back with the muzzle of an M-16. Susan thought it was odd that they didn't veer toward either road, but continued through the forest. Where had the soldiers come from? Were there more over the top of the hill? What did they do with prisoners? Been a while since we actually caught anyone out here. This time we got us some black caps, too, said the shorter man. Yeah, dem scum have been getting tricky lately. Bet they've been planning on setting up a sniper nest and killing some of our guys. He held out their rifles as proof. We're not black caps, blurted Susan. Hold on! The big man grabbed Susan by the shoulder and spun her around. He pulled back her hood and tugged off her stocking cap. This one is a chick! Whoa, said the shorter man. He stepped closer to study Susan up and down. Couldn't tell nothing under all that winter gear. The caps must be getting desperate if they're sending their chicks out to do their dirty work. Well, get moving, chicky. The shorter man pushed Susan to resume the march. You know, Carter, caps are the worst kind of criminals, said the tall one. They forfeited all of their rights, you know? Hmm, muttered Carter. Governor was totally clear about the new rules. Decent, respectable citizens live inside the cantons. Only criminals live outside the lines. That's right, Iceman, replied Carter. There's always some troublemakers who don't want to live by the rules. Darn right. And if they ain't living by the rules, then they ain't decent folks. More like animals got no rights. What does that mean? Susan wondered. Her mind was a blur of thoughts, all racing at a thousand miles an hour. Should she break and run? Where would they end up? Springfield? Did prisoners have to do hard labor? Hold on a sec, said the smaller man. He fished in his vest pouches for a small radio. Now that we're on a hilltop, we can probably raise Charlie Foxtrot from up here. Hey now, hold on, the taller man, Ice, put his hand over the radio. Maybe we shouldn't. They'll just ask a ton of questions, right? Endless blah, 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 while we're standing out in a cold. Later, we'll have to fill out all that paperwork. I think I got a better idea. Remember that thief we caught living under that highway bridge? Oh, yeah. Get going, you two. The smaller man pushed Owen to resume walking. Susan and Owen were led down a gentle slope until they came to a narrow back road. The thin layer of snow had been packed down with repeated tire tracks. Footprints also beat some well-worn paths along the side. They followed the road as it curved around the hill. The road wound past a shabby ranch-style house with blue shutters. This ought to do for our interrogating, don't you think? Ice strode up the front walk, jiggled the door handle, then kicked in the door with his second kick. And look at that! It's not locked! The shorter soldier pushed Susan and Owen into the living room of the house. 
It was dark and felt colder than outside. Clutter and disarray suggested that the family left in a hurry. You keep this one in here, said Ice. Maybe tie him to that big chair. I'm gonna interrogate the other one back there. He pointed down the narrow hallway. You can interrogate her too when I'm done. The tall man pushed Susan down the hall and through a bedroom door. She stumbled and fell onto a twin bed. She quickly rolled off and stood up with the rumpled bed between her and the tall man. The room was small and painted a dark blue. The simple furnishings and football posters suggested it was the bedroom of a young boy. We're not part of any gang. Uh, we're not black caps, whatever they are. Honest, she said between rapid breaths. We weren't going to hurt anybody. Uh, we would never hurt any of you or your friends. Scum always lie, grumbled the man. You had guns. He pulled off his helmet and threw his heavy coat over a corner chair. His shaven head and deep-set eyes only enhanced his skull-like look. His broad shoulders and thick arms seemed to promise no escape. He pulled a long knife from his sheath on his belt as he moved around the end of the bed. Susan gasped, eyes darting around, wondering if she could leap over the bed and get to the door before the knife got to her. In her moment of indecision, the man moved too close for any escape. He held the knife in front of him. The man stepped closer. He hadn't stabbed her, but cut the zip ties around her wrists. With her arms free, Susan felt a wave of relief and freedom. Fear quickly flooded back in. He was a cat, toying with his prey before killing it. Look, she said, her mouth dry. We're, we aren't criminals or black caps or, or anything. We're just uh, looking for food. We're living in a basement. Perhaps if she offered some information and kept it vague, he would want to keep her alive to learn more. She determined not to reveal anything that would jeopardize the camp or their work on the bridge. She might, by diversion, still be able to help Martin, even if it was the last thing she did. She regretted that she hadn't kissed him on the lips. The man hadn't responded, so she continued. Uh, there's a group of us uh, living in a basement uh, on the other side of the river. Susan tried to remember what Justine had told her of the group that took her in. She felt bad about betraying them, but she wasn't sure she actually knew enough to betray their location. Take your coat off, said the man flatly. He showed no interest in her information. Oh, God, she thought. A cold shudder rippled down her back. He doesn't want information. Only two. She pulled off her parka and let it drop around her boots. There was nothing in the room that looked like it could be a weapon. She could reach the little nightstand and throw it at him. Then what? Should she make a break for the door? She doubted she could outrun him. Would it only make him angry? He didn't seem angry at the moment, and yet planning to do some terrible things. Would he make those things all the more painful if he was angry? Look, her voice cracked. I, I know you and your man patrolled the woods, looking for people outside the cantons. Uh, I, I get that. Uh, it's your job, right? He didn't answer. Well, there are others out there. 
She was trying to use her scant information to buy time, and perhaps life. "'Your boss would be pretty happy with you if you found out about some more illegal people, uh, right?' She nodded and tried to force a smile. She could feel a tear forming instead. He fiddled with the knife handle between his fingers. "'Sweater, too.' "'Oh, God!' Her heart sank with another cold shiver. A quick stab of his knife would have been awful and painful, but that seemed better than what awaited her. She pulled the sweater off slowly. Was it better to get it over with quickly? Should she run and be killed outright? If she pretended to like him and go along with it, would he like her enough and maybe let her live? Would she even want to live after that? The thought was too awful to take seriously. She had no poker face skills. She knew that. Surely he planned to kill her and Owen anyway. Someone in his unit was bound to disapprove if they knew. There could be no witnesses. Should she stall for time? Stall to do what? The door was too far away. He had his huge knife. He outweighed her two to one. Even if she got to the door ahead of him, there was the other soldier in the front room. The windows were too small and high. Was it better to die running than in a bed? She dropped the sweater and stared at the knife. She wasn't going to take off anything else voluntarily. She wasn't going to bear any complicity. It was the thinnest shred of dignity to cling to. That'll do, he said. I like to peel my fruit. He stood close, looming over her with a cruel smile. She couldn't look in his deep-set eyes, only at the knife that he held in one fist. He raised his other arm. She winced, expecting to be hit in the head. Instead, the man shoved her backwards onto the bed. She saw the knife flash and swing down. It thunked into the wooden headboard near her head. He landed on top of her with a suffocating weight. He held her right wrist in his huge hand. She twisted and struggled to get her hand free, but it felt like it was encased in cement. She struggled to get out from under him, if only to breathe, but he held her tight. She twisted her shoulders to one side, enough to gulp in a breath. Suddenly, something seemed familiar about what was happening. It was vague, but the familiarity added to the terror. The fresh panic pushed her to fight harder. She had to escape the big man and whatever was trying to surface in the dark waters of her memory. She pounded on his side with her free hand, screamed, No! Don't! Shut up, he grumbled. No one can hear you. It was true. Houses in the area were few and far between, and had been abandoned for months. There wasn't anyone nearby except the other soldier and Owen tied to a chair. She felt very tiny, pinned, lost, and doomed. A bug beneath a boot, about to be squashed. These might be her last few minutes alive. She had never thought about dying before, let alone where it might happen. A small dark room in an abandoned house seemed like an awful place to die. With his free hand, the man began pawing at her chest to rip off her shirt. His hot, drooling mouth tried to land wet kisses, but she kept turning her head from side to side. She twisted her shoulders to try to get another clear breath. In her twist, she felt a hard knot in her lower back. The revolver! It was still stuffed in her waistband. 
The soldiers had checked their pockets, but hadn't patted them down. In all the excitement, she had forgotten about it herself. With her left hand bent behind her back, she reached for the grip while still writhing to avoid the man's wet face. The shifting weight of the man atop her occasionally pinned her hand beneath her. She twisted to the right for all she was worth. Her fingers found the handle. It took another twist to get a hold of it. The man had ripped her shirt open and pushed up onto his arms in order to loosen his belt. Susan took advantage of the momentary release of the great weight. She couldn't raise her arm. Reaching behind her back had tangled her arm in folds of blanket. She pulled the revolver as high as she could, only guessing where it was aimed. She squeezed the trigger. The revolver's report was more like a concussion shock than a sound. The man jerked up with a gasp. His eyes opened wide. Susan was startled, too, uncertain of what had actually happened. The big man leaned onto his elbow, to her right. A spot of red started to show through his shirt on his right side. He drew a wheezy breath and coughed with a gurgle. The door of the bedroom flew open. Susan rolled onto the floor, landing on one knee. She raised the revolver with both hands. She centered the front sight on the green shape in the doorway. Hey, what's going on in? She fired. The muzzle flash was momentarily blinding in the dimly lit room. The report erased all sound. The second man mouthed some silent words. He looked down at his chest in shock before slowly slumping against the doorframe. Susan swung the revolver back to the big man on the bed. He had sunk onto his side, mouth open. His eyes had that glassy stare like the raccoon had. This was her chance. She bolted for the door and jumped over the crumpled soldier. She stumbled on the living room debris and ran out the front door. She ran as fast as she could until she stood in the middle of the road. Which way to run? Her heart pounded in her ears. Her breaths were shallow and fast. Where was she running to? She wanted to be anywhere else, far from that room. Anywhere was better. The cold air in her throat caught her attention. Where was she? She had no idea. She wanted to run back to familiar faces who could help her. But which way was that? She stared at the revolver in her hand. The acrid smell of gunpowder still clung to her. What had she done? She just shot two men. She wanted to get as far away from that house as quickly as she could, as if losing the house would remove the events from her life. Over her raspy breathing, she could hear a sound, a voice. It was calling her name. Who else was out there? She raised the revolver and quickly scanned a full circle around her. Road, yard, bushes, house, woods. No one. Susan, wait, come back. Hey, don't leave me here. It was Owen. He was still tied up in the house. She shrank in horror at the thought of going back inside that house. The open front door looked like a trap. Susan, please, don't leave me. Hey! Every muscle inside her wanted to run down the road as fast as she could. And yet, she knew she couldn't leave Owen tied up in the house. Other soldiers would come and find the two dead men. Owen would be blamed. Other soldiers? If there were others around, they might have heard the shots. There could be no time to lose. She ran up the walk, hesitated for a moment to enter the door, but ran inside. Oh, thank God you came back, Owen gasped. I thought they... He glanced at her open shirt. No, I shot them, Susan answered flatly. She pulled out her little knife and cut the nylon curtain cords that tied Owen's hands behind the back of the stuffed chair. You shot them? How did you? Never mind. We've got to get out of here, Susan said. 
Others will be coming. She bolted toward the open door. Owen caught her by the wrist. Wait! She let out a quick shriek, jerked her arm free, and swung around with the revolver in both hands, aimed at his head. Gah! Hold on! Hey, it's me, Owen! Okay? It's okay! She paused for a moment. Her vision cleared. She recognized him and lowered the revolver. Oh, man! Owen slumped back in the chair and blew out a huge breath. I didn't mean... We have to get out of here, Susan said. Others must have heard. They'll be here soon. She ran out the front door, pausing on the porch to urge him on. Hurry! No, hold on a sec, Owen said. He held both hands up in front of himself to avoid startling her again. I don't think there are any others around. Why not? Her tone was impatient. They wouldn't have tried what they did if there were others nearby that could have caught them in the act. They knew there was no one around here to hear you scream or their shots. They were going to kill us both. Owen rushed down the hall to peer into the bedroom. I know that. Susan couldn't understand why Owen was taking so long to leave that horrid house. We have to get out of here fast. She thought she might have to leave him behind. Not yet. We can't leave him like that. Owen peeked his head out of the bedroom door. We need to change things. Change what? For crying out loud, we have to get out of here. No, no, no. If we just leave, other soldiers will come looking and they'll find these two. The way they are now, they'll know that someone else did it. They'll come looking for whoever it was and they'll find the camp and everyone in it. Susan shook her head in disbelief. What could they do about that now? The best thing was to be far, far away when the others came. Why was he stalling? I have an idea, said Owen. You find our rifles and anything else that's ours. Leave no traces that you and I were ever here. I'll go deal with these two. Susan could hear scraping and thumping coming from the bedroom while she searched the living room. She found their rifles, her cap, gloves. She pocketed the cut curtain cord. She found Owen's cap and gloves on the lamp table. A shot rang out from the bedroom. Owen! she screamed. I'm fine! He called down the hallway. Sorry, I had to do it that way. Uh, hold on, there, there's going to be another one. A second gunshot shook the house. Dust sifted down from the ceiling. Owen rushed down the hallway. Here's your coat and sweater. Uh, did you find all our stuff? I, I think so. She held his rifle out for him to grab. What did you do? I'll explain later. Let's get out of here. But we have to be careful about our tracks. He picked his way carefully down the front steps and the walkway. Stick to the hard, packed paths or bare patches. Try to leave no new prints. This way, Susan pointed up a narrow road. They brought us down this way. We should backtrack. She didn't wait for agreement. She pointed to the side of the road. There's all our prints where they brought us down the hill. Over there, there's just two sets going up the hill. Let's walk beside their first prints so it looks like four people went up and four people came down. But someone could still think, I don't care. At least it won't look obvious right away. Maybe it'll buy us a little more time. Either way, we're going this way. Come on. They hurried up the hillside, following the soldier's prior trail. Susan pulled on her sweater to cover up her torn shirt, but carried her coat under her arm. She was still too hot for a heavy coat. Sweat dripped off a tangle of curled hair over her face. Hey, not so fast, called Owen from behind her. No, you go faster. 
She pushed through the brush, not caring if the twigs scratched her face. She was not going to slow down. When they crested the rise at the edge of the gravel yard, Susan skidded to a stop. It was empty. Everyone was gone. All of the equipment was gone. Only the partially disassembled hulks of the conveyors remained. They must have heard our, heard the shots, Owen said between deep breaths, and bugged out. Come on, Susan urged. We need to get to the tracks. She rushed down the slope without waiting for him. They followed the tracks, being careful to walk near the west-facing side of the rails where the sun had melted back the snow. Susan looked for signs that the trailers had been hauled over the roads or through the trees, but could see none. She marveled at how well the camp people could cover their tracks. The bridge, too, had been swept clean and littered with a fresh layer of dead leaves again. They ran up the hillside toward the lodge building. They stopped near the corner, looked back for any sign of anyone following them. Five minutes felt like five hours, and she wanted to run but had to remain still. There was no sign of movement on the far side of the river. Susan waved to the steeple in the chapel, but didn't wait for a countersign. She and Owen disappeared inside the pump house. I wonder if they're looking for us, Owen said. Susan took out her folding knife and peered at the wooden studs. Two nail heads were the same dull gray color as the wood. She laid her knife blade across the nail heads until she saw a spark. She watched the far corner of the little room. A tiny green light flickered on. Finally, she muttered. She slid the crate off the trapdoor and clambered down the ladder. Oh, the saints be praised, said Justine. Oh, you are okay. We were so worried when they said they could not find you. Oh, we heard the shots. She ran up to Susan, wrapping her arms around her in a motherly hug. Susan stood stiff, uncomfortable at the confinement. What happened out there? Xavier asked in a demanding tone. We were wrapping up. We tried to signal for you two to return, but you never answered. We heard shots after a while, added Charon. Figured it was pretty bad. We looked, but saw nothing. Everything was packed to go, interrupted Justine. They told us to get out as fast as we could. The big trusses were already loaded and gone. All that remained was the steam crew and the tools. I didn't want to leave without you but they said we had to go. Well, demanded Xavier, what the hell happened out there? Did you lead them to us? Susan's mind was a jumble. All of the events seemed to have happened at once. Shooting the second soldier was the nearest thought to the surface, but she knew that that was no place to start. Two soldiers were coming down the hillside, began Owen. I know you said there shouldn't be anyone in that sector, but there was. They were going to walk over the rise and see the gravel yard and everything. Susan ran down the slope to lead them away from the gravel yard. Susan looked at Owen with a confused frown. I did? Yeah, but they caught us and they took us south over a hill to a house where they were gonna... Owen looked at Susan with a tragic expression. Many in the room caught the implication and gasped. They tied me up in the front room and took her into one of the bedrooms. Oh, dear Lord, whispered Justine. She reached out to touch Susan's arm. Susan jumped back. Owen swallowed hard. I tried to get free, but they tied me to a chair. I heard screaming. 
The man who was guarding me laughed about catching some black caps. Then I heard a shot. He went to check it out, and I heard a second shot. Susan came running out, and she shot them both. The first man's raccoon eyes were all Susan could picture. She shook her head to erase the image. You just left them there? asked Charon, as if afraid the answer would be yes. Oh, crap. They're going to come looking for who did it. We've only got a few hours before— No, no, we didn't just leave them there, countered Owen. I, I knew they'd come looking if they thought someone else had shot their men, so I rigged up an alternative. What the heck does that mean? Well, I figured that if we made it look like they shot each other, that there was never anyone else there. Uh, they wouldn't go looking. Uh, the big guy was already down to his shirt sleeves and his pants undone. Uh, he died on the bed. Susan shot him in the ribs. Uh, lung shot. Uh, maybe hit the heart, too. I don't know. He was totally dead. Soft murmurs arose from the ring of people around the room, hanging on every word. She shot the second man when he came to investigate. Square in the heart. Dead, too. So, I figured if the big guy was out for something kinky, uh, I could go with that. He was already on the bed. So I finished taking his pants off, and then I took the pants off the other guy and laid him on the bed. You what? Xavier stared, his mouth hanging open. Owen continued. I used to watch those CSI shows, you know, back in the grid days. Uh, that gave me the idea of what they might look for. I used a pillowcase to position their pistols in their hands so it wouldn't leave my fingerprints. I had to shoot the second guy point-blank in the same wound that the big guy's gun was, so it looked like he did it. Uh, powder burns, you know, and shell casings. Susan used her revolver, so there were no strange casings to worry about. I did the same with the smaller guy's gun, too, making sure there'd be powder burns on both. That way, it would look like the two broke into the house for some, uh, private kinkiness, and, and then it went horribly wrong. Owen looked around to see everyone staring at him. They all had their mouths hanging open. What? Owen said. I figured that if their buddies found him like that, they'd think that was what happened, and maybe be too weirded out to want to say much to their commanders because it was, well, so kinky. Xavier looked at Susan. This was the first she had heard of what Owen had done. She couldn't imagine handling dead bodies. She had no corroboration to give. I was getting our stuff, so we'd leave no traces. Xavier was dumbfounded. That is the craziest. Hey, I didn't have a ton of time, okay? Pled Owen. What's done is done, said Charon. We have to go with it now. Let's post some outer watches tonight. Ziggy, you're up. Tompkins, you too. Byron, you'll want to take the first steps for your Red Sea plan, just in case. Byron nodded with a worried concentration. I'll go stake out the place in the morning, said Charon. They won't go looking for them until night. I'll see if anyone finds them and what they do. The rest of you need to get your supper eaten and get to bed. If Owen's scheme works, you'll have a lot of work to do tomorrow. If it doesn't work, you're gonna be bugging out. Justine ignored the grim possibilities. That's right. We'll have a lot of work to do in the morning. If things aren't totally screwed up already, grumbled Xavier. Come over to the sink, Emily offered Susan. You probably want to clean up. 
Susan was not sure what she wanted. She was neither hot nor cold, hungry nor full, sleepy or alert. She seemed to have no past and no future. It was only the moment that she was living in. Washing up seemed like something for the present moment. She rubbed the warm, soapy water over her face and arms. The twig scrapes on her cheeks stung with the soap. Even after repeated dabbings and wipings of her face, it still felt oily. She scrubbed her right arm, but it wouldn't come clean, no matter how much she scrubbed it or how much soap she applied. It felt like there was still an oily film. She could still feel the man's vice-like grip. She scrubbed harder. Her arm still felt oily. She clenched her teeth and rubbed as if she was debarking a tree. Um, Emily interrupted with a little wave across Susan's line of sight. Your arm is getting kind of red and raw. I think it's clean enough, uh, for now. Susan stared at her blotchy red arm. It didn't even look like it belonged to her. She slowly accepted the towel Emily offered. Do you want to talk about what happened? Emily asked quietly. Nothing happened, Susan said curtly. A flood of visuals filled her mind. The big man's skull face, the long knife, the naked feeling without a sweater on, the ripping of her shirt, his empty raccoon eyes. She rubbed her eyes with her fists. She didn't want to see those images. I'm going to bed, Susan announced. She gathered up her coat and gear. The others in the room watched her in silence. She could hear them whispering as she strode down the tunnel to the girl's cabin. Nothing happened, she muttered to herself. Chapter 7 was a tough one to write. I knew what had to happen, plot-wise. I had the story outlined. I got part way into it, but then stopped writing. For weeks, just about any other task became super priority number one. Had to be done that moment. Cleaning the Venetian blinds, oiling the dining room table, checking the air in the car's tires. It didn't matter. Had to be done. It was only after many weeks that I realized I'd been avoiding it. When I write, I get into the heads of the characters, see what they see, feel what they feel, etc. I had come to the realization that I didn't want the Susan character to go through what the outline said she had to go through. I didn't want her to feel the desperation, the helplessness. I knew she'd survive and come out stronger. I mean, I wrote the outline, so of course I knew. But still, part of me wanted it to not happen. Weird, huh? It took some self-nagging, and I can be such a nag, to push myself to write the rest of Chapter 7. The story couldn't just stop at Chapter 6. I'm pretty sure I was typing with my teeth clenched, but I got through it. Now, Martin, on the other hand, I've had him attacked and shot at and beat up and even nearly drowned in a river. Didn't slow down typing a bit. It's almost like I don't like Martin or something. Also kind of weird, huh? It's kind of ironic that this rather dark chapter is coming out just days before Christmas, it's not the usual light and bubbly fare like on TV. I do hope you all have a good Christmas. Thanks for hanging with me through the story. <laughs>